Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Seth Holhouse of Man in America. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And it is Thursday, June 23rd in the year 2022. And what an interesting time we are in. The Supreme Court today <laughs> totally threw things upside down. And in a good way, we actually had a couple big wins. And we'll touch briefly on those before we start the great interview tonight with Seth Holhouse, which I think you're going to really enjoy. He runs a great program. If you don't listen to it, Man in America, really a fantastic show to follow. So before we begin, Patriots, I don't know if you know, but Walmart has decided they're no longer going to carry my pillow because the CEO of Walmart was in collusion to make sure Trump lost in 2020. And Mike Lindell, of course, has been fighting for the real knowledge and really to restore the election system and what happened in 2020. And just a footnote, Mike Lindell will be on the show tomorrow night in what I consider to be one of the best interviews I've had, period. A very empowering and very positive interview to understand in depth what is going on behind the scenes to give us hope that the election system can be restored. So I really encourage you to tune in. But also, you want to make sure that you've got some good my pillow stuff to take care of yourself for a good night's sleep. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell. And as you know, my passion is to help each and every one of you get the best sleep of your life. That's why I created my new Giza Dreams bed sheets. I started by using the world's best cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. I guarantee you they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. I do not like my sheets. I love Mikey's a dream sheet. I'm interrupting this commercial to bring you my BOGO extravaganza. For example, you can buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheets and get a second set absolutely free. Or my six-piece towel sets. Buy one set, get another one absolutely free. Or you can get my classic premium my pillow and get another one absolutely free. So call the number on your screen or go to mypillow.com. Use your promo code to get my buy one, get one free offers and get deep discounts on all my pillow products. So if you use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, and you head on over to mypillow.com, forward slash bards the bards nation's landing page and you're part of the cool team then if you're using that mypillow.com forward slash bards promo code bards you're going to get all these fantastic savings and you can use that promo code anywhere on the my my pillow site my store site and the frank speech site so check it out and if you want to speak to a real person give them a call at 800-975-2939 800-975-2939 and you will Talk to a Patriot Pillow counselor that is on standby to make sure that you are taken care of. Again, MyPillow.com, promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. So a couple things before we jump in here tonight to this great interview. And if you haven't heard, the Supreme Court ruled 
or it struck down New York's restrictive uh, concealed carry laws and saying basically that citizens did not have to have a special need to carry a firearm in the public outside of their home. This is a very significant win for Second Amendment rights, and it comes right on the heels of the Senate trying to undo Second Amendment rights, which, in my opinion, is why they were trying to push for red flag laws, trying to up and or try to, to get ahead of the Supreme Court ruling. What the Senate can be assured of, and every member in the House, is with this fuel under the fire of uh, other, under our feet, this will fire up more lawsuits against their stupid regulation and trying to put more restrictions on the Second Amendment. And in the end, I suspect we will win. This also, this also opens the door for universal concealed carry across the states, which is significant since ten, six states already are in the microscope of having to change their laws thanks to the fantastic ruling. And just so you're reassured, um, yeah, it's caused some real disruption with the liberals like our favorite witch from Michigan, Gretchen. I'm prepared to call the legislature back into session to deal with this. We've been in contact with the leadership. We're just looking at dates. Everyone wants a little bit of time to digest this. But I will say we are not powerless in this situation. We're not going to cede our rights that easily, despite the best efforts of the politicized Supreme Court of the United States of America. Yeah, of course, you're, you're going to take care of your constitution. It's ours, Gretchen. Sorry, you ain't going to win. And that's just too bad for her. In a couple other interesting rulings, the Supreme Court has also ruled on the Miranda rights. That's getting a lot of discussion. I don't think it's as big a deal as some people say in the sense of negativity. Essentially, the core of the case, and I'm not, uh, I'm giving you my opinion. I haven't done a legal read on this yet, but the, the appears to be a decision that's protecting the individual officers from being sued, which would be a classic leftist tactic to degrade the effectiveness of our policing. And it restricts their ability to sue the police officer for not Mirandizing them. Simple rule is this. If the police pick you up, just shut your mouth. Don't say anything. Because at this point in time, the way the rules are set, and we know they're going to do it anyway, thanks to the wonderful example our FBI, DEA, and other agencies are doing on American citizens, if you're picked up, you're considered guilty first. So don't say anything. until And then just lawyer up. That's the easiest rule to follow on all of this. So th- those are some things just to keep in mind. And then the third one, that I just, I'm still kind of shaking my head at. The Supreme Court has allowed a Georgia inmate on death row to die by their choice of death wishes. And so instead of having to die by lethal injection, they've allowed them now to die by firing squad. Huh, that's kind of interesting. Not sure where all that's going, but I've got a lot of interesting things happening right now to keep the world on its toes and keep everything shaken up. All right, Patriots, so here we are. We are at 11 minutes after the hour. It is time now to bring on Seth Holhouse. What a great interview. Hope you enjoy this. He has got a great program. Seth Holhouse from Man in America. Patriots, I'm really honored today to have Seth Holhouse on. He runs the program Man in America. I've gotten to know him quite a bit over the last couple of years. Just one of the great voices out here in the movement. Love his program, and I love everything he works for. And we're just going to have a really good conversation today. I think you'll really enjoy. So, Seth, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing 
surprisingly really well, considering that the state of the world. And I just want to start the show by giving you just allocades and thanks for everything you're doing. You've been probably one of the bigger influences in everything that I'm doing. And earlier on, before I even started this, you were the, I'd probably say it was actually you and General Flynn, but you specifically with your county by county and get out and use your talents to fight. That was something that really drove me to start my podcast. So I, I, you know, I, I feel honored to be on your show. Well, thank you very much. It's very humbling. I love how you've taken your show. And obviously you were had a big push when President Trump tweeted you out that in the beginning, but you've really run a beautiful show and cover a lot of topics. And I really like the neutral position that you take on so many things and you don't hesitate to take on difficult topics. And I, I think that's important. If people don't watch your show, I really want them to, because you, you really walk right into some of the more sensitive issues. We were just talking about one before the show, like trans identities and so forth. And I think you just do a great job of presenting some very neutral um, or I should say unfiltered ways of looking at things to kind of shake up perceptions, which I think is so important where we are right now. Yeah, I think that it is. And it's been, you know, I didn't set out, you know, you know, being a, a podcaster or a YouTube star was never part of my life plan. It was actually more the opposite of that. I'd never talked politics in general. Um, and as this has evolved, I've realized that what's most important is honesty with my audience, but to be honest with the audience, I have to be honest with myself. And so I really have to bear myself to people and just be very transparent. And I've got, you know, like I've got particular views that may be offensive to some people. Like I don't believe in crypto for one, uh, as we were talking about. And some people, they think that I'm nuts for that. And I'm part of the deep state. I've been accused of any number of things, but I, I think that just with where we are, in the world, there's no room for anything but honesty and just sincerity. And I will be the first person to admit if I've gotten something wrong, but I also go into every situation being very conscious of any particular preconceived notion that I might have. And I try to really set that aside and look at every topic you know, with fresh eyes, whether it's you know Russia and Ukraine, whether it's China, whether it's even Trump, you know, and how he's handled the vaccine. Uh, you know, I think I was one of the few, you know, I guess more prominent at that time, say MAGA uh, personalities. I had a video, I had Dr. David Martin come on and it was a video that got hundreds of thousands of views where, you know, he said, look, there's no, there's no excuse for Trump doing this with promoting the vaccine. And a lot of people hated me for that, but I felt like, look, and I made the point in that particular video, I said, look, if Trump is our leader, he should want our feedback. We can't just sit there and blindly worship the man. Like part of the relationship between a leader and the people that elect that person to lead is that he has to get our feedback for us. And so if we feel like he's doing something we don't agree with, we have to be vocal with it. Like he needs that from us. So yeah, I've just, I've really tried to stay true to that. And it's interesting that, you know, I, I recently put a post out on Telegram and if you're okay, I'll, I'll read through it uh, with your audience. Oh, Absolutely. Because, you know, I've been, again, I'm, I'm really fundamentally, I'm someone that just seeks the truth, whatever it is. And a lot of time it's uncomfortable. And right now we're in a stage in history where the truth is consistently more and more uncomfortable, especially look at the, if you look at the state of, you know, the global financial system, if you look at our, the food crisis, if you look at the diesel and oil crisis, a lot of people want to, you know, kind of bury their heads in the sand. And I've been covering that 
more and more recently as you have as well. And I've had a lot of people that respond and they're like, oh, you're become a fear monger and it's fear porn and all this. So I put a post out on Telegram today, which got an incredible response so far. I'll read this to you really quickly. It's only four or five paragraphs. And I said, sometimes when I share information about the coming food crisis or financial collapse or discuss these topics on my show, people respond with, stop the fear porn. Well, hear me out. If three years ago, I would have told you that the whole world would be shut down because of a fake virus and the economies across the globe would be crippled, these same people would have said, stop with the fear porn. If two years ago, I would have told you that our leaders would roll out a massive vaccine program and try to force it on every human being and that millions would have severe injuries or death because of it, these same people would have said, stop with the fear porn. If three years ago, I'd have told you that criminals would hijack our election and put their puppet in the White House and then decimate our country in just a few short years, these same people would have said, stop with the fear porn. Folks, we are living in times that could only be described as biblical. The evil people, creatures that have held power in our world for a very long time are finally showing themselves during this final stage of history as they attempt to force the entire world into their technocracy slave system. They are actively destroying just about everything that brought us stability and peace of mind. Our financial system, food system, small businesses, education system, the family unit, the church, and so much more. As someone who would be considered an influencer, I feel it is my moral obligation to help you understand what these criminals will do next, and more importantly, show you ways that you can be better prepared. In fact, if there are influencers and politicians that you follow that keep telling you that everyone is, everything is part of the plan or that we can just take back DC with the midterms or whatever else they're spinning, yet these people don't even mention the coming food shortages or how to prepare yourself and your family for whatever's to come, I'd be wary of listening to them. At best, they are ignorant of what our nation is heading into. At worst, they are part of a plan to distract you with bread and circuses and keep you waiting for something external to save you, causing you to waste the critical window you now have to prepare and take control of your future. The reality is our country is going to face very extreme food shortages in the next six to 12 months. There are concrete actions you can take right now to prepare for that. If you want to accuse me of pushing fear porn because you believe that somehow life will return back to normal again, perhaps I'm not the person you should be listening to. Look, I want to be wrong, and I hope to God that I am. Do I fear what is coming? No. Why? There are two reasons. One is I have a concrete faith in God. It isn't faith that God will prevent me from suffering. It's faith that whatever suffering is ahead of me, God will give me the strength to endure it. And two, I'm doing everything possible to responsibly prepare for whatever the future will bring. Faith and action are key. That's really well said. That's what I put out there. And it's, you know, I, I feel like I just had to address that because there's a lot of people and you, you do a great job of touching on them and not, you know, throwing people under the bus, but there's a lot of people that, you know, look, the hopium stuff and that, like the whole idea that there's still this plan in the works and we're all going to be taken care of in a lot of ways, that's what gets the clicks because people are seeking that. And that's the easy way. Right, but this has never been about take, about taking the easy way. This has been about us, you know, taking responsibility for the the reach that God has given us and using it to help people. And so, I, I just feel like I had to put that message out there because so many people were just 
complaining and saying, oh, Seth become blackpilled. And it's like, it's not about that people. Like I've got a responsibility to fulfill whether you want to listen to it or not. I fully agree with that. And you've heard me say this, I'm sure recently, and I've been hitting on it hard, which is where is that responsibility? We're influencers, but there's a level above that you get into these kind of really significant voices, whether it's President Trump, whether it's General Flynn, whether it's people on Capitol Hill, um, some of the bigger places, people out there. And I keep looking for that mention of, hey, folks, we've got a major crisis coming at us. Prepare. There's nothing irrational or unreasonable about telling people that you should, as a reasonable position, have three to six months of food on hand. And yet we're not hearing any of that. And it it's, as I said today earlier in the show, it's like, okay, either I'm missing something and I'll own that if I am, but every single thing I look at from whether we're speaking of this to a farmer that's very local, like a small uh, cattle rancher I spoke with down in Georgia just the other day, whether we're hearing from truck drivers, whether we're hearing from food producers of any kind, they're all saying the exact same thing. As we enter into fall, the scarcities will increase and the price of food will become astronomically higher. And the only other counterswing or counterweight I hear to that is BlackRock, Vanguard, Bear, Monsanto building vertical agriculture facilities in the cities. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting because none of those people I want to buy food from. And yet they're the ones that are also sweeping up the farms and pressuring small producers to shut down. Exactly. And I think that a key part of this is that a lot of people look at where we are at in history. I know that my, you know, my mom, my family, you know, some of the older folks I speak to that, you know, they saw their grandparents live through the great depression, you know, and they might be thinking that, you know what, America, we're going to pull it together. We can get through this. We've been through a lot, but there's a really, there's a very critical difference during the great depression, during world war one, when America was producing an immense amount of produce and sending it overseas as one of the ways they're supporting the war they came out with the war gardens, which evolved into the victory gardens. I know you've spoken a lot about this, but the government itself, they were going to schools and teaching children how to plant. They were passing out pamphlets about how to can food, you know, and and moving into world war II. And shortly after that, you know, 40% of the produce in America was produced by individual, by we, the people see at that time, the government was for the people. But where we're at right now in history, not only have the moral values fallen so far from where they were in the you know, teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, ever since really you saw you know, Hollywood and the media become hijacked around the 50s and 60s with the introduction of all the movements and the, you know, all the, the communist ideologies coming in, really attacking the family unit, our moral fabric in, in this country. But so you've got you've got the the destruction of the morals. Whereas right here in, in 1930, they're teaching kids how to garden. In 2030, they're teaching kids how to you know transition and how to you know as you say snip their weenies, right? So that's you know, that. So we have the moral difference. But the thing is, is that right now we're at a time where the enemy, you know, of course I can go into a whole different dialogue about. China's role, Russia's role, you know, the, you know, all that stuff. But fundamentally, you know, the, the enemy is within our own government. It's within our own country. The enemy is within our own school district. It's within, our, within the unions, within the corporations in our country. 
we haven't been through this as a country because our enemy knew that there was no way they could externally come at us. They had to infiltrate. They had to take over from the inside out and eat away at the Judeo-Christian values that were the only thing that gave us the armor of God as a country. And so we're at a place now with, with what we're entering into that our country has never seen this before. We've never been anywhere close to where we are right now. And I just think that you know there there is a there is a rude awakening coming. And, and you know, back to your original point, which is that how many politicians do you see talking about these things? And that's and that makes me question because you know, and I've I even even you know some of my shows talking about food shortages. And I'm not I'm not like throwing Trump under the bus as an example, but it's like why you know why he's got to know what's coming, what's happening. You know, of all the people, he's got to know because the severity of it is so critical. What's stopping him from, you know, at one of his big rallies of saying, you know what, folks, make sure you've got a garden, you know, like our, you know, he, he can go into some beautiful dialogue about it and, and, and blame Biden for something, which he always does and say, look, yeah, if, if Biden never would have stolen the election, I'd be, you would have had a garden four years ago or whatever it would have been. Um, but, you know, what's stopping these people from doing that? And that's what really makes me concerned because as, as you've talked about recently, it's like everyone is focused on this clown show. And, you know, I, it's interesting because I've had this recurring dream and this is probably one of the first times I've really connected it just at this moment with you. And in this recurring dream, so I, I grew up in, in a little town called Plain City, Ohio, and it was a town of plains, literally, like it was flat for as far as the eye could see, surrounded by cornfields. And I always had this recurring dream that I looked out over the back of the field and there was this probably 10 mile wide tornado just coming straight towards my house. And everyone was outside barbecuing and everyone was just you know, going on with everything and in the dream and to varying degree of success, I'd bring people down inside the basement so they could survive the storm. But sometimes in that dream, they'd be so busy cooking their meal for the 4th of July barbecue or whatever it was that they're doing that I wouldn't be able to save them and they would, they would die. And I think that that is really how, what I feel is probably one of the best metaphors for what's happening right now is that there is this storm coming. And, and I think you see it, I see it, and there's a lot of people that see it. And I think a lot of your listeners see it and they know what it's like when they go to their friends and their family and they say, there's a storm coming. There's a massive tornado coming. And the person says, Hey, you know what? I'm growing my burgers right now. And the game's on, you know, crack me open with those bud lights. And it, it's, it's a tough time. It's a tough time that we're in. It is. There's an interesting thing I've started to realize, and I, I'm curious to get your take on this because we both talk to a lot of people from different strata. And what struck me and has struck me most recently is that the great awakening if, as to call it that within the body of the people of the United States and the people of the world is actually more profound than I, I perhaps I, I was realizing in, in the sense that we're still looking towards leadership to fix much of this. And what I'm finding is that leadership doesn't have a grasp, as we've been alluding to, on many of these issues and not only many of these issues, but the greater connectivity of these issues. So we're rapidly moving to a place, in my opinion, where they are becoming irrelevant, but we've been so heavily conditioned over the years and formed by a system that keeps telling us they are important that literally we're, we're in this 
um, juxtaposition where, okay, just like we talk about, we're going to vote. Okay, vote. But it's not solving the deeper problem. For them, they see it as a solution. For us, we're like, yeah, we're not even scratching the surface. So I'm curious if you're getting the same perception because the awakening is massive when you step outside of these stovepipes and these you know, political camps and corporate camps. And it's really very significant in how it is literally transforming the world. It's a good point and a good perspective. And, and, I, and I really do agree. And, and so I think that from one angle, if I look at how things have been set up in society, is that it's almost as if the, the, the cabal, the evil people that have wanted to destroy things, they kicked off a series of dominoes a very long time ago. And even if, let's just say that person pushed over the first domino and say that they died the next day, those dominoes are still falling. And what we're seeing now is the end result of that. And so I think that part of those dominoes have been the programming. So they, you know, part of their programming was to get us to have all these false idols and to get us to worship the scientists and worship science and evolution and all these different actions and, and, and ploys that they've used to bring about that culture. And so when you take that and you take it to nowadays, you know, nowadays, it's just, it's built into the habits, built into the human habit to look towards something. And it's funny because, you know, with, with my, my mom, who I'm very close with, who's, you know, she was a, a big fan of the show and, um, you know, she's very kind of, kind of tuned in what's happening, but sometimes I'll tell her something three or four times. And, you know, so very important, like for instance, say about the, um, you know, as an example, the diesel fuel stuff, which I'll be talking about tomorrow. And I'll, I'll talk to her about that. And it'll be like, oh, honey, that, that, that sounds really bad. But then if I, if she sees Tucker talk about it, it's like, it, there's something different about it. It's like, oh, Tucker was talking about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that she's, you know, she's, she's really awakened to these things and she's excited to actually tell that to me. And she goes, Seth, like consistently, like Tucker talks about what you're talking about, but you're a week ahead of him. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, that's that's just that's just how the independent media work, right? We're we're discovering things quicker. But so I think that that's one part of it is that there's that old habitual human programming that keeps us looking towards the politicians, took looking towards the the next election, especially as you get into the more mainstream representation of where people are at. But when I'm on the ground, so I, I live in a smaller, you know, country town in the outskirts of, in Ohio, and I'm amazed though, and and this is kind of to your point that the people that I talk to, the people that I run into, that you know, whether it's my neighbors or you know, someone at the grocery store, you know, because I make an effort to, to to really kind of talk to people and see where they're at, and a lot of times it's they're asking me questions. Like I was at Whole Foods today. Um, because I, I run, ran into, into the, the big city in Columbus. I had to drop a friend off of the airport. And so there's certain things I get there. Like my, the, there's an organic milk I like to get there that you know, I can't get locally, for instance. Um, but I always try to stock up and I have probably had you know 40 packs of pasta and who knows what and the guy talking to me is like, well, you, what are you preparing for here? And I, so usually like people will ask me these questions that then lead me into that conversation where I talk about gardening and you know what's happening. Um, but I am consistently amazed with the people that I meet on the ground that they're awake. Like, and a lot of people do see what's happening. And I think that, you know, and I, I forget, I had a discussion recently talking about this. Um, but I think that, you know, if, if you look at the Great Awakening, I'll segue into a little bit different point here with this. If you look at that process, is, you know, right now, if you look at 
two years ago, roughly, say when, when you know around the time that that Trump, you know, the election and everything, a lot of the people that were pro Biden, they they genuinely were, were pro Biden. They they were bought into the whole the, the media around that and everything. And they were you know if we're talking about the awakening, they were definitely asleep. So after the last two years, they're seeing the truth because it's like, well, what is the great awakening? I think the great awakening is just people seeing the truth, because I believe that there is one truth. There's you know, Truth is not subjective, just like morality is not subjective, as, as the Marxists want you to believe. So the truth is coming out. And while people thought, you know, when they voted for Joe Biden, that, that they, they thought he was going to end the pandemic, they thought that he was going to correct the racial tension, they thought he was going to restore the economy, everything. The truth is now coming out to that. And, and, and that's what we're witnessing is this awakening of people. And you see it in the polls, whether even this polls that CNN might publish are showing the approval rate of Biden and, and you know, look at the, the response to 2000 mules and how many people in the Rasmussen polls talked about that, you know, after seeing that documentary are, are very certain that there was major election fraud. But if you look at where we're at now and over the course of the next year or so, like, I think that the great awakening has only just started because nothing will wake people up that more than a, the shock of the amount of pain and suffering that you are living in because of the lie that you believed. And that those lies can only carry for so long. And whether it's the lies about the green movement, the lies about the vaccines, the, the complete ignorance of the media and, and not telling people to prepare, when we enter into say six months from now and people really realize what's happening, they're going to see, they're going to realize like, oh my goodness, my friend, you know, my friend who sent me at Bards FM, you know, six months ago, I should have listened to that. So we're going to see, I think we're going to see a mass, mass awakening. And I think that it's going to be an awakening of people that the, the evil that's really trying to run things and forces into this great reset and, and, and the communists over in China and everything they won't be able to contain it. And, and, and ultimately, I do believe that they will fail. Um, but I think that what's going to happen is it's, it's the awakening from all of the suffering and the revealing of truth through that suffering. Because the suffering has a really strange and almost beautiful effect on people is that a lot of times it can bring you closer to God and bring you closer to truth. And I think that's what we're going to see in a very, very big way in the coming year. No, I fully agree. I, I think you're dead on on that. And I think that's what... I've, I've said it many times on this show and we, we, unfortunately we need to suffer to realize what we have and what we were deluded by. It's uh, I think another thing is if I find real interesting in this period of time is the five stages of grief. We are, all of us have gone through that five stages of grief that we're on this path of what we're calling the awakening. And we're at, more advanced stages now, more now towards the point of acceptance and now looking towards rebuilding. But in those first stages of grief, you have denial, anger, bargaining, then you have depression before you ever get to acceptance. And if we really look around and want to be honest, the awakening hasn't missed anybody. To your point, a lot of what people on the progressive left have been touting and voting for and supporting is crumbling down. And with that, we're seeing the heightened levels of anger and denial, and they're there. And they're, they're very active right now, especially anger and the reaction of anger. So much of this uh, is the early stages of grief, which is the acceptance that what you were part of was a big lie. And that in itself, I think the ripple effect of that will be profound. 
I don't think there's anything that will hit people in a more real or visceral way than food and fuel. And that's another thing we're already seeing. I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting because I heard your recent podcast where you talked about the five stages of grief. And that's one of the shows I did a couple months ago. I used that same analogy. I even pulled, pulled them up on screen to show people like, this is where we're at. But what we're grieving, I think, is the, the death of the life as we, as we used to have. And I find that that, that is like, if, if we look at what we feel our calling is, and one of, the, one of the callings I feel like I have in this life is to, you know, in a sense, be a watchman and to really help people see what's coming and to help them, you know, find truth, find God. But part of that is, you, you know, and I'm sure that you're experiencing this a lot, and I'm sure your audience is definitely experiencing it, is that as you're trying to bring people closer to that truth, because if people can understand and accept what's happening, then they can rationally act on it and take actions. Now that can really change their future. You know, like right now you can still go out to Costco and, you know, buy, you know, a can of organic beans for a dollar. Right. So, you know, that may not be the case in five months from now, it might be $3 if you can even get them. So I've, I've really spent a lot of time really thinking about what is it that causes people to reject what we're trying to tell them? And that's what led me to those stages of grief, because I feel like that there's some part of them that knows that their old life is dead, right? They, and and you know, whether it was their life in the 90s or life in the 80s or their life in 2016 or whatever it was, we will never get back to that way of life. And I've accepted that, and that's what's allowed me to move forward. But I think a lot of people, and this is, a, I think, a, you know, just a good kind of note for your listeners: it, like, if you're talking to your friends and family, try to understand what stage of grief they're in, because for a lot of them, they're in the stage of grief of, of the death of that old life. And so, for some of them, it's anger; for some of them, it's denial; for some of them, it's you know these other stages. But I think that the quicker that we can all move into the acceptance, which I think acceptance really requires faith because there's nothing more fundamental, I think, for a lot of people and for humans in general than our construct of reality. And, and we hold on to that. And that, you know, the, the foundation of what we believe to be true and not true and what good and evil is, has really changed in the past couple of years. And people are having a very hard time grasping that. But I think that the sooner that people can realize like, wow, that old life is not going to be back. You know, that old life of just, you know, going out to the movies on Friday nights and whatever that looked like, that's not going to exist anymore. And when you accept that, you accept that death, but you also accept what your new life can become. And you become more focused on building that new life. And you start taking more control of that new life and of your future. And that's, I've certainly gone through that process um, of going from, really being very angry at what's happening, being very fearful of what's coming, you know, and, and going through, you know, denying it to some degree, but really getting to the point now where I feel like my path of life right now, and this is just kind of like my personal path with, with my wife, my family, is now that becoming this path of returning to tradition. And that's what I want more than anything. And if, if someone would come to me and say, Seth, if I could give you your old life back, if I could give you what things were like in, in 1990, you know, what, what life was like then, for instance, 
would you want it? I'd say, no, I, I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want it. I don't want anything to do with that because it was all fake. There's a lot of real things about it, but fundamentally it was fake. It was living off of the successes of a, a fiat currency that brought us a lot of wealth you know, through the, you know, all the shenanigans that the, the feds have pulled. And, but fundamentally though, it, it wasn't real. And I look at now, it's like where I'm, where, where I'm returning to, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, to, to go forward, we have to go backwards. I forget how you phrase it, but it's some sort of phrase similar to that. And there, it reminds me, there is a, um, you know, I used to study a lot of Eastern philosophy and there was a, a kind of a, a Taoist you know, master that his name was Zhang Guolao. And there's a story this in Chinese lore that he would ride a donkey backwards. And it, so he'd ride it around, but you know, his donkey's walking forwards, but he's facing backwards. And the lesson that he was always trying to teach people is that when we move forward, we're actually moving backwards. And in the inverse, like to move forward, we have to go backwards. And so I feel like that now that I've accepted where this journey is now, it's become this beautiful path of returning back to what humans are supposed to be and rejecting the, this modern construct that these evil creatures have created for us, which becomes our own shackles. That's really well said. There's a Taoist story that I refer to often, and it's the story of a young man that's up on the cliff, and he sees the old man down at the edge of the river, which, as I remember the story, it was at the Yangtze. And he takes off his, his clothes, and he jumps into the river, and the young man panics and races down to the bottom to try to save him only to find the, the older, the old man stepping out of the river. And, he, and the young man asks him, he says, why did you do that? And he said, I was simply living what I preach. It's um, flowing with the water, flowing with the river. There's a lot to that in the midst of chaos. We can find the calm when we find the line to go through it. And that is a lot. Like you say, I say frequently, we have to go back to go forward and so with that, you were sharing with me before we started this show today, and I think this, it's awesome how you've really started to build out your homestead, and you're not calling it that. So go ahead, and I want to hear about this, because this is really good. Yeah, well, and it, the funny thing is, is that three years ago, I was living in a high-rise in Manhattan. I had never grown a plant. Now, I, you know, I, I grew up in the country you know, we lived on an acre of land, you know, my childhood home and we had a little garden in the back, but it was not anything close to a homestead. And I, you know, quickly went off to college and then went, you know, moved to New York city, was living there for 15 years. So, you know, fast forward in my, I, I moved to New York city when I was 18 years old. I spent the entirety of my adult life, you know, I'm 36 now. So I spent the entirety of my adult life living in New York city, never knew how to grow a plant, rarely knew how to, you know, really cooked for myself, knew nothing about so many of those things. And the reason I, I kind of frame it that way is because there's a lot of people that they they look at, say, a homesteader, or they say, "Well, you know, you you grew up like that," and it's like, no, like I've I've had to learn so much. And so my wife and I now she grew up more in the country. She's from Australia, the prison colony of Australia, and she grew up, you know, in more like that. And so, but she also spent the majority of her adult life living in, in New York and, and and whatnot. So, but where we're at now, though, we you know consciously and I. I I talk about this a lot in my shows is I, I rarely recommend something that I would not do or have not done myself. 
And so, you know, I have walked through a lot of the situations I think a lot of the people listening are in, you know, where I wanted to live closer to Columbus. Um, you know, we wanted to have a house. I have family there. You know, there's more work opportunities there. It's better for, for different businesses that I was involved with. But we just couldn't find the right place to buy in Columbus. It was the market was really crazy. Everything was expensive. But also, I couldn't find, you know, there's, you know, I was looking at different maps of, of you know, conservative versus liberal voters. And as you get closer to these big cities, you're, it's, it becomes much more liberal. And, you know, we, so we found, we were like, okay, let's just extend our search out. So we found a place for sale that was about you know, a little over an hour outside of Columbus. And this town that I'd heard about growing up, I kind of looked down upon. It was like, oh, it's just some you know, kind of country town. And we bought, you know, five acres here. And, you know, we've, we've now gone through the process of just learning so much. So I, I, um, you know, last fall, I bought some plans online uh, on, you know, on Etsy actually, and build a chicken coop. I, I crushed my toe and broke my toe and you know, a couple of toes in the process, which is part of the learning process. You know, you know, to, just a quick bit of advice to your audience, don't build chicken coops in Birkenstocks, right? <laughs> if you're, if you're <laughs> lifting four by eight sheets of plywood, um, don't do it over your open toe in a pair of Birkenstocks. Um, so, but we've now, so we, we've now, and we, and we, you know, we've lived here for less than a year and, it's a testament to, I think, what can be done when you really just kind of pull yourself into something. And so on top of, you know, maintaining my podcast and doing a lot of things, you know, we've got, um, we've got probably almost 30 or 35 chickens now that are giving us, we, we, we just raised, we have some chicks that just hatched. We're raising chicks. We've got, um, we're getting some sh- uh, sheep soon. So we've got a little two acre field, a little pasture that we've kind of cleared off. I need to put a fence up um, for, to raise sheep. We have just, we've found ways to turn every bit of lawn into gardens. So we, there's a part of our property that is hilly. And I went just using a shovel. I dug trenches. Um, I used a, a, a level attached to a 10 foot piece of wood. And I figured out what was level to, to kind of scallop around the, the, um, the hill. And I've just, I dug trenches, you know, with a shovel and filled those with good potting soil. You know, we've we got some soil delivered from a local uh, organic farm. That's a great compost and kind of topsoil and sand mix. Um, so we've done that. We planted there. We took, we probably have about a you know ha- quarter acre to a half an acre of our front lawn, which is just grass before, which is just, uh, and we've, I've almost dug up all of the grass. I've got a giant pile in the back of the back of the property and we've planted probably 15 or 20 different fruit trees. I mean, we've got apricot, plum, pear, um, apple, cherry. We've got hardy kiwi, which will grow in Ohio. Uh, we've got raspberries, blues, blueberries, um, you know, really focusing on perennial and building out front is the food forest. And so um, we're using a lot of the permaculture methods of, you know, companion planting and saying, okay, hey, we, let's, let's plant, you know, horseradish next to the apple tree. Let's do, we've got chives, we've got yarrow, we've got this plant called comfrey, which has a really deep tap root, which digs down deep into the, into the soil and brings up nutrients up to your surface soil. So we're really focused on how to rebuild our soil health in this. And then we also had in our home, the previous owner had you know kids that were big basketball players. So he had actually taken part of the property off the back of the house and built um, a, not a full size, but a pretty big cement basketball court. And it's like, I have no use for a basketball court. And I couldn't have put a pole barn there because it was too close to the house. So we have, we built up a massive raised bed, a garden, and we've created this beautiful garden. So now every day, you know, when, when we say we have breakfast, I go in, I've got fresh eggs from the chickens. 
And I go, I'll go, I'll walk out to the garden. I'll get a giant handful of kale. I'll saute the kale with some eggs. We also do a lot of baking. And so we've got, my wife just makes a very simple, beautiful sourdough that we have. We bake a new bread every couple of days. And it's just, it's just, um, it's, it's flour, water, and salt. It's the most simple thing, but it's the best bread you'll ever have. And so a lot of mornings we're eating the bed, we, the bread we baked, the greens that I grew, the, the eggs from our chickens, and then you know, lunch comes along and we've got, you know, we've got, you know, we buy half a cow at a time. So we won't be cooking some meat from a local farmer. We've, and so everything about our life has just, just transformed. Uh, but it's been, it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of dedication and, you know, we, we really never take more than about an hour off. I mean, from morning until night, even on the weekends, it's, it's nonstop. And we feel like that we're constantly just racing against time. And it's like every day something new pops up, you know, and now it's, it's, it's the diesel fuel and, and the diesel oil and everything comes up. And, you know, sometimes we feel like, gosh, we're so far behind but then we look at what we've done and we say, you know what, we, we are so far behind, but we're also so far ahead and we're doing the best that we can. And the rest is in God's hands. It really is a, a neat thing to take a moment, like you said, and, and to reflect on what you've accomplished. I was doing that today. In fact, just kind of looking over the garden, this is now year two of this big project I took on here. And as we talked before the show, I'm now starting to lay out places for where we're going to bring in rabbits and uh, start raising those and really building out, you know, more of the hundred percent food capacity within about a quarter of an acre. But when you can take some time and you do sit back and reflect, we really do realize how much we accomplish if we're taking it every single day and kind of approaching that. I would imagine with all of this, cause you, there's been a, a deeper spiritual transformation within you as well as you've connected with origins and literally a sovereignty for that matter, because you're, 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 you're taking care of yourself and not as dependent on those external sources, which we've all taken for granted. That's the powerful part of this process. And it's a, it's, it's a process of getting closer to God through getting closer to nature, through getting closer to yourself, through really um, internalizing. And yeah, that, that's been an incredible part about this because, you know, I, I went from a couple of years ago, I, I mean, at 98% of my meals were, were fast, not fast food, but ordered out. That was just what I did living in New York City. You know, that's how you live. You get home, you open up your Grubhub app, you order dinner. Um, you know, you literally spend almost your your entirety of your life eating out, and that was just how I lived in New York City because I had a business and I was working nonstop. So going from that to this process now, where my you know greatest joy is going out, say at six a.m. before the you know, the heat gets on, or and just walking around the garden and walking around and seeing, wow, that you know, that raspberry I planted is now bearing fruit and I taste it. And it's like, it's the best raspberry you've ever had, right? Or the, or the blueberry or looking and seeing, you know, we're doing some trellising, we're using hog fence. And so I, I, I'm, I'm planting, you know, grapes or growing grapes up the hog fences or cucumbers or climbing up or zucchini, you know, spreading across the ground. And it's this process of, you know, there's something really divine about it. And I, you know, you can see that from the perspective of, the evil people 
in this world that have tried to remove us from God, that disconnecting us from the earth in a lot of ways is just as effective as removing us from God as burning churches down. Because the when you're out there, it, and I remember growing up with my mom and she would always say, you know, during spring would come and she'd look at a flower that bloomed or she'd see a baby bird. She'd go, Seth, how can you not believe in God if you look at this? And, and that's it. Like that's, that's a big part of this process is there's so much beauty and the earth is so abundant in what it gives us. And you can take a little handful of seeds, you know, that if you sneeze, they just disappear. And those seeds, you know, eat over the course of a couple of seasons could feed half of the village. And it's just like, wow, you know, talk about, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, the, you know, the, the fish, the bread and fish or whatever it's, there's so much bounty that's there for us. And also though, especially as, as a man and as the head of my household, the more that I've taken on that role and the more that I've really shaped myself, like everything about me has changed. Like I've got a really dark tan. I was actually, it was funny because I was in, I was in the hardware store today. This woman looked at me and she goes, you got a nice look going on. You got, I was, I'm usually wearing a tank top. She's like, you got your tan and your long beard, and your long hair. <laughs> it was like, oh, wow. I guess that's true. I, my, my body, I've gotten in a much better shape. And, you know, cause I spent my day, you know, pickaxing through rocks to dig holes or, or, or digging or moving dirt, but all of these things, they really transform you. And there's, when you have that sense, like you mentioned of sovereignty, um, you know, when you detach that, it gives you this, this feeling of accomplishment that is hard to find anywhere else. And especially when you look at your land and, and, and I see that I'm using the, the food that I'm growing and, and what the chickens are giving us. And that's what we're feeding our daughter with. And we're, we're giving them to our friends and our neighbors. It does, it really changes you. And, you know, back to earlier, what we were talking about with the whole, you know, oh, why are you pushing fear porn and that perspective? The one thing is that for people that are afraid, one of the best things I can recommend is just get, get, get moving, start doing something. And the more you get focused on what you're doing, the less time you have to worry about, you know, what Klaus Schwab just said or about Agenda 2030. And you just get focused and you're like, you know what? They can do what they want. I got my chickens. I got my, my beans. I got my, my shotgun and I'm just going to live. And, and it's just, it's, it's a very beautiful process. It really is. This time when we kind of take from macro to micro and just kind of get your big sweeping look at a lot of this, we have so many moving parts on a strategic level that are literally unraveling. We have the, the dollar, which is in free fall, though they don't want to admit it. It's just a paper currency without backing. We have the rise of the BRICS nations. We have this looming issue of shortages of fuel, of shortages, obviously, of food, which are on the horizon, which we've been talking a lot about. Kind of put that all in perspective in, in a way that, in, in your way of looking at that, because for me, as I look at these things, this is just logical thinking, literally. And so you look at the moving parts and, and we can't see everything, but you can see enough to say, look, there's only so many conclusions you can draw and there's only so many things that you can do to prepare. And if you aren't preparing, and I think that's where you get to that fear porn reaction, which is that people are literally out here going, you know, you're supposed to be making me feel good. And in fact, that's not the case at all because a truth teller and, and a, and an influencer should not be out there to make you feel good unless 
you're, you're watching a comedy show or something. But quite to the contrary, is to keep you awake and help people see bigger pictures tied to what you can ultimately do in local action. You know, it's when, yeah, when you look at, when you piece everything together, the more you see, you start to build a, a picture and it's, it's hard to turn your, to turn away from that picture to, of what's coming. And I'll, I'll take a step back and look at the really big picture about what I see happening right now and what I see unfolding and also what I think will happen um, with the, the next, you know, with the, with the coming years. And, you know, I, I, I really, I agree very strongly with your, your position that there are multiple factions that are fighting for control over the world. And so I'll step into that realm for, for just a, a bit here, because it helps me really frame where I, th- where I see things that are at right now. So I think that the the cabal, as people traditionally talk about it, the thirteen the thirteen bloodlines, the the central bankers, the Illuminati, you know the the, the you know the Masons, that the whole you know the Vatican, that whole group of people, they have been in control realistically for a very very long time on this earth. So they they I believe are the people that are really driving the the great reset from their perspective. Like Klaus Schwab fits in that agenda. Bill Gates. Um, so they're they're the ones that are pushing. They've had this plan for a very long time now. But what's happened though is that they spun off China. So we, you know, Mao got his start in China, you know, from Yale. It was really it was that Yale had a program called Yale in China, and that was really what enabled Mao Zedong to get off his feet to start bringing communism into China. They gave him access to their printing press. They gave him buildings to use. Um, so the CCP though has become Frankenstein's monster. And if you look at what they've what they've grown into, if you look at how the cabal using the American corporatocracy, the military industrial complex, you know, how they've used their economic hitman strategy to slowly take control of the world. Like it's a game of chess and slowly take control of all these countries that were forced into playing into their system. You know, Ukraine being one of them, color revolutions, assassinations, um, you know, uh, big promises, they load the country with debt, forcing them to then give up their oil up to the you know, big oil companies, et cetera. So China, they've, they're playing that game too with their Belt and Road, their BNI um, initiative, Belt and Road initiative. And so what you see kind of playing out is that China, because I've, I've studied China extensively back when I was working for the Epoch Times, you know, that they've really prided themselves on being I, I, what I believe to be one of the best resources on earth to understand China and, and communism and what the end goals are. And the more you dig into the CCP, the more you realize that you know, there's a, a Chinese saying that is basically it's one mountain is not big enough for two tigers. And what it means is that this, the Chinese will not submit to anybody. And there's a lot of people that say, oh, China's just the boogeyman. You know, what about Davos and all this? And it's like, no, you're, you're missing the point. China will, Xi Jinping will never submit to the Rothschilds or the European bankers or any of that. They have their own aspirations. And so what I think that, what I think has happened is that you've got, there's multiple factions, but I think the two big factions are like the deep state cabal as we know it, that everyone wants to talk about. 
And then there's the CCP, but the CCP has assembled these BRICS nations. So Joe Biden, in a lot of ways, forced Russia into China's hands. But you know, China and Russia have been cooperating for a very, very long time to bring down America. Um, you know, there's, there's been a Sino-Soviet pact for decades to share information from their spies, everything, because they they both knew that America stood in the way of of that. Um, now, as a lot of people say, Putin is a white hat. And I said, well, look, Putin is is Putin's against the deep state, but in a lot of ways, America and our government. Um, you know, is a lot of the deep state, though not the American people and there are good people. Fundamentally, if he brings down the deep state, well, that means crashing our dollar. That means seizing our land. It's not good for the American people. So for all those people that are like, oh, cheering on Putin, it's like, you know, just because someone is the enemy of your enemy does not make them your friend. And so what I see happening now, though, is that China using the assembly of the BRICS nations, using all the nations around the world, especially the African countries, a lot of the European countries that they have brought into their uh, BNI, their Belt and Road Initiative program, which gives them full financial control of those countries, the same way that the United States says in its imperialistic way, they're now going towards the same goal. And they realize, that the CCP realizes that if the the globalists, the, the cabal, if they get there first and, and implement their you know, global technocracy system, that the CCP would have a hard time taking over that. So what I see happening is that they're also making a move at this very, very last moment to try to seize control because China, and they're very openly, they openly speak about this, the CCP, they want that global control. They want a global communist system. They, they, and they talk very openly about it if you know where to look. So what I see happening is that with what you're talking about, Scott, with the fuel crisis, um, the, how the sanctions in, you know, against Russia have collapsed the food system as if it was planned, all of these things happening at once, uh, you know, even the collapse of the dollar, which was interesting because the collapse of the dollar, though you know the central bankers, they want to bring us on to their central bank digital currency, there have to be certain systems in place to make that happen. And if you look at what the aggression that the BRICS nations with China spearheading have shown towards the de-dollarization of the world, and the collapse of the, of the US currency, what I see playing out is that the original plan for the cabal was to bring us through this, this great reset where they slowly, and but it's a controlled demolition of all the old systems that they set up that were planned to at a certain point be collapsed. That way we'd land on the other side, which is their you know, global control grid. But what I believe is happening is that the CCP is making strong moves because the CCP is on the verge of collapse. And that's, that's a much larger topic to kind of dig into. But the CCP is like, a flea could sneeze and they will collapse. That's how weak the CCP is right now. Even though they're very strong militarily, they're fundamentally, they're very weak and their citizens have rejected them. And their citizens are like, uh, like a, a match being flung onto a pile of gasoline soaked logs away from just imploding and, and, and having the whole country go into complete civil war and collapse. So the CCP has to, at this final moment, try to make this last ditch effort to take control of this demolition of the old that the cabal has been planning and building. But in that process, they're jacking up all the plans. And so that's why we're seeing it's like, well, they're talking about rolling out a CBDC, but like, how close is that to being rolled out? Because it's like, folks, the dollar is like months away from its collapse. So you can see what's happening is that though they have their, their vertical garden growing systems, they have all these plans that take us in, into Agenda 2030, but everything is collapsing faster than they're going to be able to control.
And so what I believe is going to play out is that all of these old systems will collapse, but both of the two major evil factions that would have wanted to take control amidst that will be weakened amidst the collapse and won't be able to take control of the collapse because there's amidst that collapse is that great awakening. And so through all this difficulty, the good people, the God-fearing people will emerge, you know, like the Phoenix rising from the ashes and will be the ones that emerge on the other side of this collapse. And I think the, you know, God will, God and, and man good man will regain control over the world as we finally root out the evil that's been here for so long. I really agree with that assessment and it's, I'm glad you got into China and that'll have to be another discussion, but it's a great one to get into. I've been just to say I, back in 2012 and 2013, when I was working at Fort Meade, I was briefing that China would be back to its three or five dynasties by 2025 and people thought I was crazy. But the point I was making is, remember that debt, the biggest debtor is also the biggest banker. And that is one thing that President Trump understood very well and the leverages that he had. Seth, it's great to have you on. Where can people find you? So a handful of places. So we've got a, myself and a few other patriots, we've got a streaming platform called Rise TV, which is www.rise.tv. That's a place where I'm, I've got you know, all of my content. Um, however, I'm still, miraculously, I'm still on YouTube. I'm still um, you know, on Facebook, but I don't encourage any of your listeners to go find me there because don't support those communist run you know, uh, you know, tech companies. Uh, I'm, I'm on Rumble as Man in America. Uh, as social media, I'm most active on Telegram and Truth Social as Man in America. My main website is just maninamerica.com. And since a lot of your listeners are, podcast listeners, um, all of my episodes, I also do as a podcast. So I'm on Podbean. I have an account on Podbean, uh, iHeartRadio, and a handful of the other podcast uh, stations. If you just search for Man in America, you'll find it. everything I do goes up on the podcast as well. That's awesome. I just followed you on, on Truth Social. I'm kind of sketchy on Truth Social. I, I, I'm there, but I'm, I've already had like four things censored by me, and, and, I'm, <laughs> and they weren't that extreme either. And I was like, you know, okay, so we've got that. But it's, it is a good thing to have a place where people can congregate and there is some decent information. And it's also give the memers a new home where they can feel safe, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. For now. For now, exactly. Well, Seth, we always close with a prayer. And if it's okay with you, we'll do a prayer. Uh, please do. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today just for this very blessed meeting, bringing Seth here and this conversation that we've had. And once again, the encouragement to empower ourselves to take action in our lives and not just to sit on the side. And I think that the stories that were shared here today and what Seth has shared with us and his journey in taking that command of life, I hope that inspires. We pray that inspires the many people that will listen. We're reminded in John 14, 27, peace I leave you, peace I give you not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. And so we just pray for that blessing over so many that just to realize that in this time, there can be such an amazing empowerment if we simply listen, take charge, and grasp the wealth of riches that you give each of us through sowing of seeds. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, thank you, Scott. And I, I believe that you're coming on to my show next week, which I am extremely excited for. Oh, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Because then I get to ask you all the questions. 
<laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a great show, and I'll make sure and let everybody know. I, yeah, it is next week, and um, I, I have to look at what Hannah's got me scheduled, but you probably know I haven't looked right now. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, next Tuesday midday, and we'll be live. doing. We'll be doing the show live, and there's going to be a Q&A portion, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, I probably won't put that one out on the uh, on the YouTube and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now you don't want to because they've got my voice flagged. I put up a Fishers of Men show that they literally flagged like a week later, and then I took it down, and then they reflagged me for it. So I'm just like, <laughs> you people really hate me. I mean, I, and I laugh. Of course they do. But it's all it's all good. But yeah, that's great. Well, well, Seth, really honored to have you on. Thank you for coming on. It's a great conversation today. Um, look forward to being on your show next week, and we'll definitely have to – have you back on here in the near future. I think there's a good conversation in China that you and I need to dig into. Oh, I would love the opportunity. And thank you again, Scott, for everything that you're doing. You're playing a very, very important role. And the information you're giving people will end up saving a lot of lives with, with what you're focusing on. And it's it's uncomfortable. I know that sometimes people give, you know, they, they don't want to hear the the cold, hard truth, but you've got a way of delivering it that I think is very, very important. And you know, God is definitely using you for some very important, um, just a very important mission here on earth. And I, I commend you for that. Well, thank you, Seth. I really appreciate it. And likewise, I hope people will really pay attention to your show. You've got a great one and a great perspective on many things. Well, have a blessed day and we'll talk very, very soon. All right. Thank you, Scott. Well, Patriots, that was Seth Wholehouse of Man in America. I just think he's got a fantastic show, and it's it's really refreshing, I will tell you, when you speak to somebody else who has a really level perspective on things, and he does, and he brings a very, very measured, very level assessment to the current problems, which I think is so important, and unafraid to ask the hard question, and questions plural. I think that's what's so critical right now, and it doesn't make you popular, I mean, we have an amazing following here in Bars Nation, as Seth has a great following. But outside of those areas, many times when we're asking the hard questions, we're asking for justification for the way things are said or why people are or are not saying things. And those are especially when we get into social icons. It becomes a a moment when the hate likes to flow. And that's really... At the core, you know that you're on target because it's shaking up the idolatries that we so easily fall into. And we all do. And I'm not excluding anybody or targeting anybody in particular. But we're really at a critical time right now in our nation where we have to be very measured and we have to be very precise. And we have to be, we have to dig very hard and ask hard questions. We have to start understanding what people mean, especially in political office. Because the political class is a class very much consumed with themselves and the real issues of the world on the ground, what we're all facing with, are radically different. There's a, an, a typical type of exchange that happened today in the White House press room where the question was asked that basically we're in a position that somebody has to choose between $5 a gallon of gas or a $61,000 electric vehicle. And the pushback was basically, well, we're going to we're doing everything we can. We're in transition. We are going to cleaner fuel, and people are going to get an 18 cent boost on or reduction in fuel because Biden has suspended the gas tax for for three months. I mean, the disconnect to the American public on the ground is phenomenal. 
And when somebody's in a world where they're making a quarter million dollars a year or more in a DC type job, they have no touch for the family that is making minimum wage and running two jobs to put food on the table. Or for that matter, even just someone who's making a decent wage but living on a regular life without subsidies, without extra benefits, you're not getting all these pensions and and healthcare benefits, which they all do for themselves to give themselves a little cushion because they've ended up, most have ended up in government because they have no other place to go. So the refuse of our society that isn't producing valuable things or worthy accomplishments for society migrates to government because it becomes a protected class. And so with that, we have to drill down hard. We have to challenge everybody and we have to hold them all accountable. All that said, and I got there because Seth is one of those that does that. So just an excellent, uh, an excellent truth teller, an extra excellent patriot, and I'll be very honored to be on his show next week. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. We need to keep our prayers up right now for the strength in people to stand, to be truthful, and to be bold. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you this evening. And for Fishers, until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible Too many think it is unreal, but that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. 
the energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push, we climb, we never give in, we become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray, we stand, we live by the words, in God we trust, we fear nothing, we are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. 